Hello and welcome to Me and Education Matters with Matt and Matt. My name is Matt. And my name is Matt too. This is kind of weird we did it that way this time. We're backwards. Uh, today we have a special episode because we are here in the Maine State House um, talking with Senator Eloise Vitelli, who represents District 23, which is all of Sagadahawk County, and Dresden, which is part of Lincoln County. Uh, she's been a former school board member, a former uh, teacher, comes from a family of educators, and we're very lucky to be talking today with Senator Vitelli. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to talk with you about education. It's yeah. deep in my background. So, so tell us a little bit about your, your background there when it comes to education. Well, both my parents were teachers. My older sister's a teacher. My younger sister is currently in the school system in, here in Maine. My brothers have taken a stint at teaching. I started out my career as a Head Start teacher right here in Midcoast, Maine. Spent five years as a Head Start teacher, spending my days with four and five-year-olds, and they've taught me almost everything <laughs> I need to know about getting along in life. Yeah, pre-K, that area is, is great. That's where I started as well. I started teaching four, four and five-year-olds, and um, it's so much fun. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun as well. It definitely is, uh, and I'm glad I had the opportunity to do that. I also spent most of my career after my early days with early childhood working with adults, so I'm more steeped in adult learning theory, and truth be told, it's not that different than mm -hmm. teaching young people. I think students need to be respected. They need to be, their curiosity needs to be fed. They need to have a broad exposure to ideas and, and issues. And there are a, the same way that children often learn best by doing, there are adults who also learn best by doing. So there's a lot of similarities that I've learned about working with young people, old people, when you're trying to encourage them to learn and grow. One thing I learned about being a teacher is that it's definitely one of the hardest jobs there is yeah. because you're always on. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, right. You have to perform every day, every minute. Uh, the expectation is that you will be not only on your best, but paying attention to every other individual to bring out their best. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a tricky job. That is hard because every interaction matters. Yeah. And so when you're constantly on for eight hours a day, that's, it takes really special people to do it. I mean, we, yeah. we can't agree more. Agreed. It's very exhausting. Yes. Very exhausting. Yes. So Senator Vitelli, how long have you been in the legislature? So I'm in my second term, although I served a half of another term. Okay. So technically I've been here for five years. Okay. And what committees do you sit on right now? I'm currently on the Marine Resources Committee, and previously I served on the Committee on Agriculture, Conservation, and Forestry. Excellent. And on the Special Select Committee on Maine's Economy and Future. I think that's what it was called. Okay. That leads us into some questions about what education looks like. What, what, what are the outcomes that we want our kids to be uh, once they leave high school or higher education? Uh, what's the future for them? Can yep. you comment on that a little bit? So, you know, I think what we're all trying to do with our public education system is to prepare individuals to be productive members of our communities, to be able to work, take care of themselves, contribute, uh, be part of our economy, and 
you know, figure out what it is that they can, what their skills and their abilities are so that they can apply them uh, in, the, in the world at large. You know, it's a pretty simple concept. It's changed over the years as our culture has changed. You know, we've gone from an agrarian society to an industrial society to now post-industrial. So the skills that people need to develop through their educational process have changed somewhat. But I think, you know, my, my, my dad was a, an English professor. So I come from a background of the liberal arts, and I know there are there's some critiques of the liberal arts education, but basically what I learned or what I take from my upbringing is that the liberal arts creates the whole person. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think our educational system is still aiming to do. Sure. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that, that one of the things we have to focus on is that whole child perspective. Um, and, and the whole child isn't just about you know, the academics side of it. It's about critical thinking. It's about the healthy and the safetiness of the students. It's about being supportive. Teaching our students how to be engaged, like you mentioned, um, how the, the learning by doing is so very important um, for kids of whether they're four-year-olds or 40-year-olds. That's how, um, in general, I think we learn. I think that's, I can't agree with you even any less or any more. I mean, it, it comes down to a simple formula that I heard from one of my adult colleagues, which is that we all need to learn how to share toys, get along, and play nicely in the sandbox. Sadly, that's a refreshing thought right now because that doesn't necessarily happen everywhere out there in our educational realm, in our political realm, in our community realm. So then how, how might we build that? How might the legislature... And I don't know the answer to that. So... Well, a couple things. I mean, to me, the formula for education or for learning that happens in our schools or should happen in our school comes down to the two main ingredients, and that is the teacher and the student. And if we as policymakers do what we can do to take care of the teachers and the students, then they will do what they need to do, which is to support the learning and development of each child in, that, in the classroom. So some concrete things we did this time in the legislature to take care of those two key ingredients. One is we, we set on a path to raise teacher salaries, minimum salaries. Right. Um, that's something that I think there was broad support for. There was a real recognition that if we want our teachers to do their best, and we've just talked about how hard that job is, mm -hmm. then we need to reward them accordingly. So. You know, that's um, embedded in the budget that we passed this year, that by, you know, we stepped it in, we couldn't do it all at once. So it's phased in that by 22, 23 year, the minimum teacher salary remain will be $40,000. Finally, we got to that place, and I think that's one concrete thing we did on that side of the equation. On the other side of the equation, for kids, I think there was broad recognition that kids can't learn when they're hungry. When they come to school with empty stomachs, nothing's gonna stick in their heads. So we did a couple things um, to make it easier for kids to get the nutrition that they need to really learn. We made free and reduced lunch program accessible by ensuring that there's an online application so there's 
so no stigma attached to that. The budget provided for free lunches for anybody who qualifies for reduced lunches. A new and expanded breakfast after the bell program yeah. was important. We banned food shaming. I mean, it seems a shame that we had to do that. I cannot that. applaud enough for that one. Yeah. I gotta be honest, because you know, we've, yeah. we've, we've heard stories as we've been going down this road and, and talking about all the bills and legislation, we've heard stories about these things, not just in Maine, but at all across, about you know, kids having to, you, don't, you can't get the full food, but you get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, or you can't eat until you get it, and that's just not right. It's not the kid's fault. It's not, it's not the kid's responsibility at all, so we have to not blame the kids for something that is outside of their realm of responsibility. So sometimes, you know, the legislature in itself can't really fix that, what happens, but we can raise the issue so that then locally, schools, teachers, lunchroom personnel become aware that this is an issue, that this is something that shouldn't happen and address. So that, 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 that brings up a question for me or, or a perception, mm -hmm. I think, that a lot of folks might have about what happens at the policy level or happens at the legislative level is that, well, you can fix everything. But in our state, that's really not how it works. Kind of, and, t and tell me if I'm, I'm wrong here or for filling the gaps, but it seems more like it's a, here's the end goal, the, the, the target we want you to reach, aim for, and now at the local level, you figure out how to get there. Yep, I, I think that's well said. I mean, I think the role of the legislature and policy in, especially in relation to our schools, but on other issues as well, is to say, exactly, here's the goals, here's what we want to try to achieve, figure out what's best, what's the best way to get there locally. Sort of set the standards. We, we can state basic values. So you know, I'll just point out that our, the budget is the biggest value statement that comes out of the legislature. Okay? Yes. We put our money where our values are. This time we put our money in teacher salaries. We put our money in schools. We got as close as we've been so far to the 55% of, of state share of education funding. So I think this legislature really made some clear value statements about where we want our schools to go, including in this instance of food shaming. Is there going to be, going forward, a, a plan to try to get closer to that 55%? I mean, I know that we're in the second session of the 129th coming up, but in the long-term goals of, of your, your leadership or the party, is that one of those things that's going to be continuing as, as a goal to, get, to finally get us to that point? Because this is what I hear from a lot of our fellow educators across the state, which is this one little thing, it's not little, I'm kind of marginalizing it, but it's huge would make such a difference to school districts across the state if we were to have that level of equal and equitable funding. Yeah, I think from where I sit, there's clearly a, a commitment to keep the ball moving in that direction. You know, we did other things besides just move the state share of funding for education. We also mm -hmm. dealt with property tax so that municipalities can better manage their budgets and don't have to take from their school budgets in order to pay for roads or vice versa. So it's really about shifting the overall partnership between the state and the municipalities in terms of funding. This, the 55% is one piece, revenue sharing is the other piece that can make that partnership more equitable.
there's also been a big push over the last few years for this for a school to work a um, you know the CTE yep. level which I'm fully in support of yep. um, because I think we need to have varied multiple options one of the things that I've seen a lot is this whole pendulum swing of education it goes one way and it goes all the other way when I think from the liberal arts perspective we'd say well the answer's in the middle and there has to be a bit of both it can't just be all but one so then I guess part of my question is how do we negotiate and navigate a world where it's we're constantly swinging pendulums when we're just trying to instead of doing that level say no no truth in the middle how do we get to that point mm -hmm. so the CTE agenda from last session was is unfinished yes there was a funding bill that got held over there was another bill that um, the governor held um, I know that there's been some criticism, as you've indicated, of pushing everybody towards college, yeah. um, hence student debt, and that's a whole other issue we could talk about. But as you say, I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. It's not that we need everybody to go to college, and it's not that we need everybody to go to trade schools. What we need is to make sure that people are having have the choices and the options are clear, and then can go where they best fit. So. The organization I used to work for does something called a Totally Trades Day for mostly girls in high school. It's done in partnership with the CTEs and with the Department of Transportation and other groups to expose girls to trade occupations that they might not have thought that they could do, whether it's welding or mm. electricians or driving big trucks or plastering or law enforcement. You know, people have to be able the to see the non-traditional, yep, to see yep. that, oh, I could do this, or this is fun, or, you know, because part of the way that it's done is that women who are in those fields serve as role models, and they come and they teach the class on how to do carpentry or plumbing or whatever. I think that's what needs to happen at our schools, hmm. that kids need to see what the alternatives are, mm -hmm. what the what their options are, whether it's going to school or going to a trade school or going right to work. I have a nephew who um, passed up on post-secondary education and has created a successful business for himself in the woods. He's an incredibly competent young man and he's just doing great stuff. Well, there's never been a better time in our, in our culture's history where a person can literally do whatever they want to do because those options are really there now. It's just a matter of that, that, that playing field has been leveled, but at the same time, it's also that much more competitive because the playing field has been leveled. So, you know, they can just not necessarily get a college degree as long as they wanted to, they knew what they wanted to do and then knew the ways in order to make that happen. Um, and part, part of that has to do, I, I think, with having a clear, what's being called a quote, portrait of a graduate. What are those things that a graduate needs to know and be able to do to negotiate and navigate in 2020 and beyond? It's also having some diverse career pathways. Yes. I mean, I, that, that word is used a lot. You know, what are the pathways to different occupations? And sometimes it goes through a technical school, sometimes it goes through a two-year college program, sometimes it, it may weave in and out of those 
uh, opportunity. Sometimes it's an on-the-job right. learning. What's different is, you know, I live in the Bath area, and it used to be that you could graduate from Moore's High School and go right to the shipyard, and you'd be there for your career. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen very much anymore. Hmm. It still happens somewhat. You know, the, the apprenticeship program still exists. Um, but the technical nature of the work that they do now requires different skills. Sure. Um, so, you know, there's no doubt that the world of work that people are facing requires some more technical training, some more math, some more English, you know, just the basic skills, but then also some really specific trade skills. So before those kids can leave school and get to those trades, they have to get to school. Yeah. And that kind of relates to the, one of the bills that you have coming up this, this session. Yep. So I spent last, the last session working on the Renewable Portfolio Standard, which immersed me in our renewable energy environment. And that exposed me to this concept of electric school buses. And it seemed to me that if we're going to um, have a real impact on our greenhouse gas emissions, yeah, it's gonna help if we move a lot of our heating to renewables, but the transportation sector is where so much of the greenhouse gas emissions come from. Mm -hmm. I've done some reading. School buses sit idle for a long time. Diesel fuel is not very good for you, the particulates that come from that. So here we have the kids in Maine riding school buses with these diesel fumes coming out of them for up to two hours more sometimes a day. Yeah. Um, and so my bill is proposing that we move to 100% electric school buses, and there are over 3,000 school buses in the state of Maine, I'm told, by 2040. The really neat thing that I like about this concept of electric school buses is that they can also be portable batteries because they can use their energy while they're taking kids to school. Then they sit in the schoolyard for a while and can either draw down if they need it, this is the vehicle to grid, or they can put energy out to the grid. They sit all night. Again, they can bring energy in or put energy onto the grid as needed. And then because they're on wheels, they could go to a shelter, for example, and provide oh. energy in an emergency. Does this have an LD number yet? No, it has an LR number. And I don't an know LR number? It, yeah. Do you know which committee this is going through? I'm hoping it'll go to education. Okay. Because this is, um, what I found out so far is that the, there are national standards and even global standards for school buses. Mm, really? Yes. There are. Interesting. And every five years, these national standards are negotiated and updated. That updating will happen this spring in 2020. Maine is already allowed under the existing regulations for school buses to purchase what are called small electric school buses. That has to do with the amount of kids they carry. Okay. Um, but the hope is that when the new regulations come out at the federal level, they will also include all school buses, the big ones as well as the little ones. Excellent. Yeah. Wow. So the department um, 
I think is well poised to move in this direction. There's some $4 million a year that they put out to local school districts to replace or purchase school buses. Mm -hmm. And the idea with my bill is to say from now on when you come to the state to replace an existing bus or to get a new one, it has to be an electric one. That would be outstanding. Yeah. That would be well, outstanding. Yeah. Will that require any kind of infrastructure change at the local level for things like charging and yes. things like that? And will that be supplied or helped out? Just yes. So all of these details are still in sure. negotiation, of course, but some of the op options would be for if we're going to create incentives for school districts to do this. School districts can buy their own buses, but maybe the state would provide the charging station as the incentive. Because, okay, nice. yes, that's... There's also going to be a need for more uh, specific training for both school bus drivers, managers, etc. Electric school buses are different than diesel, so they're going to need to learn the specifics of how you drive and maintain sure. electric school buses. They are more expensive to purchase, but the lifetime of these school buses are cheaper than the diesel because of the maintenance costs are so much lower. So overall, it's not, it's, it seems to be like, uh, from what you're saying, uh, overall, over time, less expensive and better for our uh, Better for the environment, yeah. Senator Vitelli, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much. You're very welcome.